It was mentioned a little bit uh, this morning, but last week, if you were there, uh, you uh, know that my message was about proclaiming Jesus Christ. And as uh, it should be no surprise to you, for Jesus is the subject of the entire Bible, so there's so much that can be talked about uh, from uh, the Bible about Jesus Christ. But it really, I was left, I was left wanting because a subject like this, Christ we proclaim, I, I really feel in some ways I, I laid the groundwork for it, but I didn't really get to dig into it a whole lot. And uh, I made the, you know, the sort of offhanded quip last week that uh, those of you who have the misfortune of having to hear me every week had to hear me last week. And now I'm going to just sort of say the same thing that uh, there is sort of, there's more there for me, I think, that needs to be talked about. If we're going to proclaim Jesus Christ, I think it, it, we, we should know what we're proclaiming. We should, we should know what those things are. And, and I said it last week, and I don't know how clear I made it, but we don't, it's not just the things that come out of our mouth, although it should come out of our mouth, but it's also the, the things that come out of us, right? It's, it's His Spirit inside of us that exemplifies who Jesus is to those around us. Uh, I made this statement last week, I think. Uh, I don't know exactly what all came out of my mouth, but I, know, I think I made this statement that uh, it doesn't do us any good to have the words come out of our mouth if our actions or what's inside of us doesn't line up, right? That, that actually turns people off. That actually happens all the time with uh, people who look at Christians and call us hypocritical, sometimes rightfully so. So I want to just continue exploring. I've, I've titled this this morning, Jesus Messiah. And to be quite frank, we're going to do a little mini-series as I, I focus on what I think are, not the only things, but, but three major things that are true about this Jesus that we proclaim, the Christ that we proclaim, that, that should be coming out of our mouths and coming out of our lives that we should be testifying to as we interact with people around us. So... Uh, I'm going to sort of use the launch pad from John chapter 1. If you want to open your Bibles, you could, I'm going to read just one verse there. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. I get these, uh, every once in a while I get these, um, I don't know, these desires to, to kind of shake things up. We get used to how we do church, and this morning is going to be one of those mornings, actually the next uh, uh, three messages, which will be this morning and tonight, so you should be here tonight to hear part two, and then next week on Sunday morning. Uh, they're going to be all be a little different than normal. I'm going to try to do not quite as much teaching myself and have a lot more conversation around the Word of God with you. Uh, so just be prepared that we're going to have a bit of that conversation. But I want to jump in from John chapter 1, verse 41. This is as Jesus is calling his first disciples, and as he comes to this man we call, uh, we know as Andrew, and we actually know his brother a lot better, but Andrew uh, was exposed to Jesus first, and he goes to his brother, Simon. Simon Peter, and he says to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, John writes in parentheses, we have found the Messiah. Now, those are, by the way, words of, of great import. As Andrew walks to his brother, uh, Simon Peter, these are, this is a big deal. This is not just a, a flippant statement. If we were to be Jewish, we would know how important it would be. In fact, it's one of, the, one of the central places where Judaism and Christianity diverge is on the question of the Messiah and whether he's come or not. So this is a big deal. He walks over to his brother and he says, we have found the Messiah. And John puts in, puts in parentheses there, which means Christ. Just a little bit of explanation here. The word Messiah is, is the Hebrew word. That's, it's, not, it's not a Greek word. We read about it in the New Testament, but it's, it's a Hebrew word, Messias or Meshiach, which means anointed. That's what the, the verb means. And then to be anointed, that person, the capital, capitalized, is, is the person that is anointed. To be anointed. By the way, that's the exact same word, uh, the same thing that Christ means. That's the New Testament word. That's the Greek word, Christos, which is anointed, to be anointed. So when they're saying this, they're saying, we have found the man who is the anointed one. 
He is the one that is anointed. Now, again, this is a concept in Judaism. And for the Hebrew people, it's, it's a concept that is very well developed. If they, if they know any part, which most of them would have, would have at least received instruction on, they know any part of God's history because God spoke of this. As he called his people to himself, he anointed his priests, and they had very special roles. He called them the, the, uh, the, the not, not big capital A, but he called them the anointed ones. They were, they were the ones that were anointed to serve God in specific ways. And they were continually looking forward to the anointed one, big capital A, we know him as Jesus, to be coming. They kept looking for and looking for. This is, by the way, one of the central questions that is wrestled with in all four of the Gospels. As Jesus lives and breathes and goes about his, his life, and ministers, and heals, and teaches, and, and proclaims that the kingdom has come. This is the central question for them. Is this really the anointed one or not? So I'm just going to use Andrew's phrase. We have found the Messiah. We have found the one who is anointed, which means Christ. That's the, that's the Greek word that they would have been familiar with at the time. This is the one we have found. And then I want to just spend time with the word of God uh, this morning to say, who is this Jesus that we know as the Messiah. We should see, by the way, we call him Jesus the Messiah. I don't know how you think of those phrases, but Jesus was his name given to his, by his parents, and Messiah is the title. He's the anointed one, or Jesus Christ would be the same way. If we say Jesus Christ, Jesus was his name, Christ referring to the fact that he is the anointed one. He is the one that came from God for a specific purpose. So that brings me to the very first word there. You maybe see them in red up there, but we're going to take them one at a time. Our message this morning is going to focus on the fact that the Bible is very clear that the Messiah, the anointed one, was sent to us. And I think that's a, that's a concept that maybe you're like, well, that seems self-explanatory and we don't need to talk about it anymore. I'm sorry about that because we're going to talk about it all morning this morning. But um, I, I think it's something we need to understand. I think if we, if we don't think this is a big deal, I don't think we fully understand God's holiness and our sinfulness. I don't think we fully understand the vast, vast, vast gulf that exists between us and God based on who we are, on our merit and our lack of being able to come into God's presence. For Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one to be sent to us is of great import. Everything up to that point had been about People, mankind, doing what they needed to do to be right with God. I suggest to you that still every other religion in the world is still faced with that dilemma. What can man do to make themselves right with God? So for Jesus, the anointed one, to be sent to us is something that is radically different is something that completely changes the game. I've used these verses quite often, Galatians 4, 4, and 5. Paul wrote these words that when the fullness of time had come, when God said now is the right time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that would be all of us, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
And you might uh, quibble with that and say, well, the law is referring to the Jewish law. And maybe in its most explicit sense by Paul, that would be true. However, Paul is very clear in the book of Galatians and everywhere else in the New Testament that uh, God's law, whether it was the Jewish law or not, God's law remains for all of us. God's standards of righteousness remain for all of us. And those of us who were born under that have become aware when we come to understand God's standard of righteousness that we are in desperate need of help. And so, these verses tell us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son to us. So let's talk about Jesus, the Messiah. We're going to just walk through some, I think, a little longer sections of text. This is probably not going to be how you're used to hearing your Sunday morning sermons from me. But I want to spend some time with them. There's going to be a lot of reading and a little bit of time spent talking together. I'm going to put the reference. You have a handout, by the way. If you want to jot any notes, you can do that. But I'm going to put the references up here so you can see them. They are long sections of text. I will not apologize for reading long sections of text. I will not apologize for making you listen to long sections of text. I will ask you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52 and read with me. In fact, why don't you stand to honor the reading of the word of the Lord this morning? Isaiah chapter 52, I'm going to start reading in verse 7 and read through the, uh, all of chapter 53. And I'm going to ask you to focus your mind this morning on places or ways that we see this idea of Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one being sent to us come out of this text. And so just so you know, I'm going to ask you that question when we get done. So um, just be paying attention. This is why we read God's word is to pay attention to it. Verse 7 how beautiful, of Isaiah 52, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice, together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Uh, let me just interrupt myself to help you to understand that that verse right now I don't know if you want to say kings, but certainly peoples and lands uh, is, coming very, is coming true in front of us. It's always been true, but it's coming true in front of us where there's people who have not been told, have not been declared the name of Jesus, who are understanding who Jesus is and coming to him. Let me keep reading. Verse 53, uh, chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made a grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. It's the word of the Lord we're reading. You may be seated again this morning. This one may be the most, or maybe somewhat difficult to tease out, but I want to just invite you, as you think of the words we just read, do you see any aspects of the Messiah being sent to us? What makes you think God sent his son, Jesus, to us from those verses we read? Go ahead. I don't, uh, you know, if you're in church with me, I expect you to be able to share, willing to share, speak up. I want to be able to hear you. Are there things from this text that you see Jesus being sent to us? I started with a difficult one. I think it'll be easier in some of the other texts. Absolutely, that's right where I was going to start. You see good news coming. If there's good news that's to be announced, that's got to mean something, right? God is about to unveil something. Very good. Anything else? How do we see Jesus being sent to us? It speaks of the Lord returning to Zion. And you may think well, that's a very Jewish kind of message, but just a few verses later, it says that the Lord is bearing his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Again, these are, uh, we, don't, we don't quite understand these kinds of things because we don't have a, a Jewish mindset, but to read these kinds of words before the Messiah ever shows up, you know, they understood that the anointed one was gonna bring salvation to them, but these words they broaden it out and they say, he's coming, he's bringing salvation, but it's for the ends of the earth to see. You know, sending is something that's intentional, right? You don't haphazardly send someone. You don't mistakenly or by accident send someone, do you? Sometimes we send our children back to the driveway next to our house to give a message to our neighbor, uh, ask them a question or something, but we send them on purpose. They don't just accidentally wander back there with a note, right? They're sent. And when we read in this, we read all these things, and yet at the end of chapter 53, what does it say? It was the will of the Lord to crush him. That, to me, friends, indicates that Jesus was sent to us. 
very specifically, very intentionally, not haphazardly, not accidentally, not mistakenly, not casually, but he was sent to us. That's out of the Old Testament. Flip now with me back to the book of John. I want to read the opening. We read, we read, I started in verse 41, but I want to read the opening of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, the first 18 verses says this. These are very familiar verses to us, but again, I want you to pay attention to this idea of the Messiah being sent to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So here it might be a little more clear. So church, where from these verses do you see that the Messiah was sent to us? He, he sent a witness first, but was the one who came after him also sent? How do you see that? What makes you say that? I'm sorry, I'm making work on a Sunday. But you know, I told you I like to do things different sometimes, and not that I get so tired of it all the time, but uh, it's good for you to not just sit there and have me feed you every Sunday, but for you to dig into the Word. Okay. Yeah. And what does it say? The true light was what? Was coming into the world, right? Is that not a statement of being sent? The true light was coming into the world. It was being made manifest. It was being made visible. What's that? To everyone. And I'm just going to pick that up a little bit. To the very last verse I read says, no one has seen God. But what did Jesus do? One of the things that the Messiah came to do as he was sent to us was he became a visible representation of God. He revealed God to us. He made God known to us. Aha! How do you receive something that's not sent, right? How do you receive a gift that is not given? You can't. If I say I have a gift for you, but I'm not going to give it to you, you can't receive it, can you? 
So by implication, if we are going to receive, if we can receive the Messiah, it means that he was sent. He was given to us. Very good. Say it a little louder, Stephanie. He came to his own, right? Right there it is. He doesn't use the word sent, but that's exactly what it means. He came to his own. He arrived. By the way, church, doesn't it feel, it should, it ought to feel really, really good to us to have those words that were read at the beginning, the one who was in the beginning, who was with God and was God and all things were made through him. Doesn't it feel really special, really good to say that he says that he came to his own? He came to us and he calls us his own. Again, it doesn't use the exact words, but uh, one of the most powerful declarations of him being sent is in verse 14 where it says, the word became flesh. God is a spirit, right? God is a spirit, which means for him to be sent to us in some way to become tangible, right there it is. The word, Jesus, who was God, he became flesh and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled. He set up his dwelling here. He was sent. Anybody have any other thoughts? I don't want to. What? What do we have to believe on? How can we believe in something that wasn't sent, right? It goes with the receiving, but I, 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 I'm gonna, I won't reject that. Very good. Flip a few pages now. I'm going to keep going because I want to hear from Jesus himself. In John chapter 12, we're going to get some verses from Jesus himself reflecting on this idea to see whether he saw himself as being sent. Listen carefully as we read Jesus, uh, Jesus, John chapter 12, starting in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ, there they use that word, remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So tell me, church, brothers and sisters, where do you see that Jesus himself reflected on the idea that he was sent? He says the hour has come. Tell me, do you think Jesus knew why he was there? Absolutely, 100%. Which is, makes it all the more startling to realize the depths of his love for you when he knew what was going to be happening and said, I will do this. 
The hour has come. You notice he says, should I say, save me from this? No, why not? What does Jesus himself confess? What's the very next line out of his mouth? It is for this purpose that I came. I think there's even a few translations that would read, it is for this purpose that I was sent. That is exactly why I came, Jesus said. So I'm just going to let you in on a little secret as I'm giving you these kind of exercises and questions and we're kind of reading through a whole lot of scripture. Not only am I wanting some specific things from you, but I'm wanting to get us a full idea of what Jesus, the anointed one, was about. That's why we're going to the Old Testament. That's why we're going to the beginning of the gospel. That's why we're going to Jesus' own words. So let's just go to the end of the book. Let's go to the end of the book. I want to read Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 is this glorious scene. It actually doesn't begin so glorious because as John is seeing this scene unfold before him, he sees something and he's told that uh, something, uh, uh, he's afraid something can't happen. It begins to grieve him, which is where Jesus gets introduced to the scene. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw, I being John, speaking first person. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, and listen to their song, church, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And in verse 13, he says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. Every creature saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Again, this one may be a little more difficult to tease out how he is sent, but I, we know the story. I'm, I'm banking the fact that we know the story of Jesus. And for us to see this, this pivotal scene in heaven as John is seeing it unfold, but look at the picture he sees of Jesus. The one who is worthy, the one to whom all this praise and honor goes to. And I want, it's so hard for us to quantify that. It's so hard for us to imagine what it sounds like. What does it sound like when thousands upon thousands of angels 
say this. What does it sound like when every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the seas and in all that's in them, what does it sound like when all of them declare the praise of Jesus? And then, when you remind yourself that what John saw was between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, he sees a lamb standing as though it had been slain. He sees the one whom God had sent, the anointed one. He sees the representation of Jesus, the one who came and just talked about it. We just read the verses that he must be lifted up. And when he's lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. He sees the Messiah that was sent. I believe that's why, it's, that's why he sees what he sees. Because God is confirming that's the one that I sent to you. The one who came. Well, I want to read one more uh, passage for you this morning. Very specifically for a specific reason. I'm going to ask you to stand once again. You've been sitting for a while. I don't want you to fall asleep on me. Philippians. Very familiar passage. Philippians 2, verse 5. Brothers and sisters, hear God's word this morning. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may be seated again as you hear the word of God, and I invite you again to just be forthcoming with me. How do you see evidence that Jesus was sent to us from these verses? Hope you're not tired of answering my questions yet. Do you see evidence of Jesus being sent? Remember I said that when you're sent, it's not haphazard or not by accident. Now think about this. Again, this is stuff we kind of all know up here, and so we kind of forget to like internalize it and wonder at the amazement of this. What is it like for God who is almighty and sovereign and is who made all things and, 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 and was part of that whole process? What is it like for that God to humble himself and take on the form of man? Think of the differences between God who is everywhere present and all-knowing and all-powerful to say, I'm going to go inside of a container uh, that is not everywhere present and that is not all-knowing, and I'm going to humble myself and take on that form. What, is that, what does that take? I suggest to you that takes a very clear idea or, or request to be sent. It takes a very clear call to be sent. It takes a very clear understanding that there is a mandate, that there is something that is required Let me put it this way. For you and I, who most times or often hold ourselves, never mind, I'll, I'll just leave you out of this. For me, who often holds myself 
a little higher than I ought to, for me to subject myself to some menial task, I have to see myself as having a purpose, a very clear purpose, and I have to be sent in some way. If you get my, the, the idea of what I'm saying, I have to be sent in some way to do that, accomplish that task. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it because it's beneath me. Believe me when I say Jesus becoming human is far beneath him. And yet, that is exactly what he did. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled him. He emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is what Jesus did because he was sent to us. He was sent in a form that we could see and recognize. Now, this seems like crazy talk, but did you ever just pause for a moment and thank God that when he sent Jesus, he came as a human? How would it be different if he would have come as an angel or an animal? Now, that's ludicrous, right? I mean, I, but, and I'm not trying to, I'm, trust me, I'm not trying to be irreverent about it at all. I'm helping us to see how incredible it was that God said, I will send my son. He's a spirit. Send my son and becoming, it will come to you in the form that is just like you and I, that we understand. Now, I read this verse very specifically, though, for a reason, because did you catch the very first words I read? And if you need to be reminded, go back and read verse 5. What does it say? Someone just read it out loud for me. That was pretty quiet. I didn't hear it very loudly. Have what mind? Have this mind among you. What mind? The mind of Christ, which for our purposes this morning is the mindset that says, I am sent. There's a purpose. There's something, there's a reason. There's, there's something that's supposed to be getting done. It's not haphazard. It's not by accident. It's not, it's not just casually. That I am sent. You heard Jesus' own words. He said that. Should I say, God saved me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I was sent for. Have this mind among you. In fact, did you know that Jesus said exactly those words as he prayed what we call the high priestly prayer? In John chapter 17, verses 18 and 19, he's talking to Jesus, talking to his father. And he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Fun little tidbit, that word consecrate, guess what that means? To be anointed, to be set aside, to be given a specific purpose. Jesus said, I consecrate myself. I receive the, if I can put it in my words, I receive the mantle of being the anointed one so that they also may be sanctified or set aside for the, in the truth. As you, God, have sent me down to them, now I am sending them. Church, can we not only grasp the idea that Jesus the Messiah was sent to us, but that in doing so, he is sending us. That we carry the same mantle. We carry the same mandate. We are here for a purpose. Not haphazard, not casual, not by mistake. I ask you, I ask you, for what reason were you sent? For what purpose have you been sent or are you being sent? You know, we use these kind of languages and you know, 
You, I hope you know this. You know that my, my, my blood runs with missions. I, 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 nothing excites me more than hearing people that are willing to give up everything to go to some other place to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And I think many more of us should be doing it, by the way. And not just young people. I, I'm, I don't have time for this. I, I'm, I'm going to make time for this. I'm tired. I'm tired of the mindset in the church that says there's a great age between, oh, about 19 20, when you graduate from high school, or maybe graduate college, 22, 23, and before you get settled down and have real life, that that's a great age for you to go and give your life to Jesus for a few years, and then you can come back and settle down and do real life. Just what do we think real life is? By the way, that is not a, a rebuke to our young people. You understand that, right? That is a rebuke to the rest of us who seem to think that now we've arrived and can have important things that we've got to take care of. I don't want to be harsh with you this morning, so I won't be. I think I've told this story. I know I've told it in person to a few of you, but I don't know if I've told it publicly in the church here. A little over a year ago, at our, uh, we had a, a missions retreat. It was right on the heels of Pastors Conference in Hicksville, Ohio. And there was a brother from Africa there named Yemaru Alemu. Alemu, I think was his name. And he shared this story. I think it was him. It might have been... Might have been Nick Ripken actually to share the story. They were both there at the same time. But he shared the story of a young man who had given his life and paid the price in, the, in Africa somewhere and was, uh, I think I'm going to get the story correct, uh, and was, was sharing Jesus and was just not making a whole lot of progress, but was sowing seeds and working hard and had made a few converts and was just, it was just sort of working hard. And his father came to visit him on a visit. His father was a man of God and came to visit, spent some time with him. And in the short couple of weeks that his father was there, uh, he spoke with the rest of the village and, and he was about to leave, I think it was, and, and the village elder came to uh, the young man, the guy who had been there for years, and, and said, we have decided, our entire village, that we will become Christian. Which, of course, is great news, right? Except for the young man, as you might understand, was left a little miffed. Here I was, working hard all these years, and then my dad comes over, and in the short span, they all decided to give their life to Jesus. And he said he asked this village elder, why? What changed? What, what, why now? Can I ask you why? Again, this, these are my words to the story, so they may not be exactly accurate, but I think the, the point of it is, is going to be correct. And the village elder looked at him and said, until your father showed up, we thought this gospel you were talking about, this Jesus you were talking about, was for young people. But when your father showed up, we realized that people of all ages, myself included, can follow this Jesus you talk about. I'm telling you, church, it's time for us to, and he used this phrase, to widen the mirror. Doesn't the world need examples of families, parents with children, and grandparents to be faithful to Jesus and to demonstrate what it looks like to continue to be faithful to Jesus. I know this is, this is hard, right? And I'm not asking, I was, I was making this point originally, so I'm just gonna come back to my point. I'm not asking that all of us get sent over there because as much as I am a missional kind of guy and I love to see people being sent, I think it's time to dispel the myth that being sent means going out of the country or going anywhere. Listen, we are all sent. We are all sent. You may be sent to your place of employment tomorrow. You may be seeing yourself as being sent to your family in your house right now. 
Because the idea of being sent is that Jesus, our Messiah, was sent to us to represent, to demonstrate, to make God manifest to us and the glorious gospel of what he's doing through Jesus. Now, Jesus was the anointed one. We are now sent. Paul would say we are Christ's ambassadors. We are now sent to, to continue that demonstration as Jesus lives inside of us. It is not a question of whether you are sent or not. Can I just say, tell, say that to you? It is not a question of, it's not like I, I'm giving you the option this morning. How many of you feel sent? No, no, I'm not doing that at all. I'm telling you, you are sent. You should just ask yourself or ask the Holy Spirit actually where you are being sent to. And I, I, I don't care how old you are, how young you are. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a purpose and intention that God wants to bring about in your life. I'm not going to make any bones about it. And I'm, I, believe me, the first thing that our culture wants to do, sorry, this is going longer than I wanted to, but the first thing that our culture wants to do is to turn that into some kind of, we're going to do great things for Jesus and change the world. Maybe that's what Jesus wants. But primarily you are being sent to be a representation of the Holy Spirit inside, letting that come out of you and, and, and to demonstrate Jesus in all of your everyday interactions. Most of those, by the way, start right with the people you live with which is sometimes the hardest place to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. I discovered when I lived in Germany that it's a lot easier to be an on-fire Christian when no one there knows me. It's a lot tougher when I live with the people day in and day out and they see my flaws and they see me make mistakes. We might think it's a glorious thing. It's a lesson God also taught me. We might think it's a glorious thing to be sent somewhere out there and it's actually a lot more difficult to be sent right here. I just want to pray. I want us to recognize that Jesus, the Messiah, was sent to us. There's a very specific part about being the anointed one is that he was sent. He's the one God sent to us. And then I want to ask us to internalize that and ask the Holy Spirit this morning, if you have not ever done so, as explicitly as this, just ask him, where are you sending me to? Who are you sending me to? And let him speak to you. I can't tell you what that is, but I know he will. God, thank you for your word this morning. It is so obvious to me, God, that there are so many more things that could be said about your word. There's so much more that could be said about Jesus, the Messiah. And Lord willing, God, we, we will dig into some of those things. But for this morning, you have arrested us or captured our attention with the idea that Jesus was sent to us. And I'm so grateful for that. It, it does something. It does something inside of us to think that the king of the universe was sent to us. We have become aware that we could not ever come to you based on who we are. So Jesus, for you to come to us, to be sent to us, for God for you to send him and for Jesus for you to allow yourself to be sent is incredible. And we didn't talk about it, but Jesus, you, your own words, you said that when you went back to be with the Father, that you were sending the Holy Spirit to us to dwell inside of us. That just carries on this mandate and helps us to see that we are likewise being sent by you. I pray, God, that out of sincerity and authenticity, that there are many of us sitting here in this room this morning that are willing to actually ask you, Holy Spirit, that question, to ask you, King of our lives, Jesus, that question, to ask the God of the universe that question. 
where and to whom am I being sent? And then, God, I pray that as you begin to unfold that to us, whether it is an immediate sense right now or whether it is an unfolding thing over the next days, weeks, months, who knows, I pray, God, that in your grace, you would give us a zeal, a commitment, a, a backbone to say that I'm going to follow. I'm going to honor that. I'm going to become aware and conscious that just as Jesus, my Messiah, my anointed one that came for my sake, just as he was sent to this world, so I am being sent into the world. Thank you, God, that you have made us to live with purpose, and we want that purpose to be for you, for your glory, for your kingdom. God, we give you praise. Oh, we desperately need your help to be faithful to you, and we're so grateful you give it to us. We're so grateful you give it to us. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.